0: On the Empire podcast this week, we talk about Jay Larry with F Law, as Francis Lawrence joins us to talk about his chilly, sexy spy film, Red Sparrow. So apart from the sexy bit, it's a perfect match for the weather this week, which is nice. And we look ahead to this week's Oscars and wonder how many envelope jokes we can expect. All this in the usual movie news, reviews and nonsense on the only movie podcast that would make a sexy Russian spy if only we had the cheekbones for a fur hat which is a shame. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, Chris Hewitt is off this week because he's writing about Avengers Infinity War, the jammy git, or so he claims anyway. Personally, I suspect that he just didn't want to risk going outside. Um, So instead, I'm joined by two colleagues of Lethal Cunning and also immense amounts of... You know, warm clothing and thermals, um, because they have braved the day after tomorrow like weather to be <laughs> here um, and struggled into the studio where we are bo- burning folios of old magazines just to stay warm. So, first up, we have a man who uses his youthful looks and natural charm to infiltrate the dangerous realms of Empire Online and apparently who just watched Commando for the first time. It's uh, Ben Travis. I
1: did. Uh, hello, everyone. I had the best Friday night of all time last week. Uh, <laughs> ordered a Domino's, other. Uh, pizza takeaways are available, uh, but I got some beers and watched Commando for the first time with my mate and we basically cackled for 84 solid minutes. It was amazing.
2: Did you go full Vernon Wells? You never go full
1: Vernon
0: Wells. <laughs> <laughs> is that the correct response to Commando? Is it, is it, you know, respectful to cackle the whole
1: way
2: oh, through? It's, it's respectful. I'm not going to shoot we, you we between guys. the eyes.
0: <laughs> I'm going to shoot you between the balls. <laughs>
1: Amazing. Yeah. We did shed a tear in the opening, uh, very touching deer sequence. Uh, <laughs> we then, uh, after the film, smushed a little bit of ice cream on each other's faces and, and wiped it off tenderly with some uh, with some napkins. It was a it was a beautiful evening.
0: Wow, I, I don't know what to say. To that. So I will introduce <laughs> uh, our other guest today. You've already heard him, but uh, this is our very own beast from the east, a man able to chill the blood of lesser men with little more than a Schwarzenegger as Cohen impersonation. It is James Dyer.
2: Oh, thanks, Helen. I like that one. Well, you know, I try. I'm not going to lie. There's a possibility this week's podcast might be especially shambolic.
0: And the reason for that is not because really? you're presenting.
2: Don't take it the wrong way. It's because I have seen none of the films. Uh-huh. I have read no news.
0: Fantastic. And I don't
2: even know what the question is. Brilliant. So <laughs> I'm not saying I'm bringing nothing.
0: But, but I might. <laughs>
2: but, but I'm bringing little.
0: <laughs> I mean, the question was right there in the email.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, the email that you probably sent me. I the, have many notes. That Chris sent you. Chris sent me an email. Yes. Oh, it came yes. from Chris, of course I didn't Ben
0: literally has notes. He has like two oh pages of notes God. that I can see.
2: Okay. I've well, got no, a script well, on a computer. Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. So don't tell me what it is, and when we get to it, I'll just make it up as I go along.
0: Well, I mean, that that is a nice segue, actually, because it is time for a question. Um, so here we go from uh, Jake Terrell. I'm guessing this came via either um, Facebook or, you know, email, because I haven't got a handle for him. But it says... Uh, having recently visited the Arnold Schwarzenegger Museum... Wow, there's a theme here it's already. real army um, vibe. Having recently visited the Arnold Schwarzenegger Museum in his childhood home, just outside Graz, which he says is well worth a visit, they have the bike from T2 and there's even a phone box full of weights in the car park to do your workout in. Pretty unusual. He was wondering, what's your favourite movie-themed museum or shrine? Ooh. Ooh.
2: I... I- Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> I've got my notes. Go on, oh, so right. I will I will. concede to the right honourable gentleman with his notes.
1: So half of my list is stuff that I've been to, and half of them are things that I would love to go to if I get the chance. Cool. So uh, I'll start with the ones I've been to. Um, first up, the Harry Potter Studio Tour
0: yes. in Watford. Yes.
1: As a massive Harry Potter fan, as a child of the Harry Potter generation, I went to the Harry Potter Studio Tour three times in a year. And it's amazing. Nerd. There is so much good stuff there.
0: Did, did, do I, they
2: do the butterbeer there?
1: They do. They do, and it is absolutely disgusting. Do they do both versions of the butterbeer? They what? do. You do. They do butterbeer, and they do butterbeer ice cream. The ice cream is worth having, because it's basically like butterscotch. Yeah. Um, and the butterbeer itself is... It's so ...made me sweet. feel physically sick. Because, yeah. like, fizzy soda, like, coloured fizzy soda yeah. with very little taste. It's amazing. And then a thick sort of layer of creamy stuff on top, yeah. and that is just such a bad combination.
0: I have to say, I was also there three times times in a year. But that was in fairness before it opens. Yeah. I don't know if that makes me more special or
2: something. So
0: what was what was really unusual is that they actually the first time I went, they were all like, we're not gonna have butter beer. This is not the <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> experience <laughs> that you get, you know, if you go to Universal. It's not gonna be a thing. And then rather sheepishly I got a phone call um, a, a few weeks later going, yeah, there is going to be butterbeer and we know you put it in print that there wasn't. So we were wondering if you'd like to come back and have some butterbeer.
1: <laughs> How did you
0: like, find it? Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's too much. It's, but it's, I mean, it's gross, fabulous, it? but it's far too much.
2: I had about four cups of it back to back. Um <laughs> Because because me. No, because I went to, I've not been to that one. I've been to, mm-hmm. obviously, um you know, Hogwarts slash Hogsmeade at uh, Universal Studios. Universal. Yep. And they do the, you know, chilled soft drink butterbeer, but they also do the slushy, like the really, like, the slushy butterbeer. And I felt it was my duty to try them both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it was hot, so I tried them both again. As a huge fan of Tango Ice Blasts, um, <laughs> I would absolutely love to
0: try Yeah, that, that seems sensible. Yeah, they were yeah. pretty
2: cool. It's uh, very, it was very hot.
1: But yeah, the, the studio tour is, is incredible. There is, they have so much stuff and they've recreated half of the sets. If you're a big Harry Potter fan and you've never been... Mm. It's so worth going, and they do kind of timely uh, exhibitions and add-ons, and you can get your photo taken in front of the Hogwarts Express and on a broomstick. Um, on a broomstick, uh, you can walk through the carriages of the train. Uh, also, you are going to want to set, uh, set aside at least an hour for the gift shop. Oh my goodness, because yes, they have like plushes of absolutely everything. Now,
0: have they? What well, the thing that I wanted was those hog-headed jugs. From the tables, mm. and last time I went, they didn't have them yet in the gift shop, and yeah. I really want them to be there one day because those are amazing.
2: The the is it the Hogshead? Hogshead, what's it called? The yes. thing is the, the pub, pub in Hogsmeade. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in the Hogsmeade Recreation at Universal, mm. as yeah. along with all the little boutique shops mm. and everything, mm. which is kind of mental. It's uh, no, I really, I really like, uh, I really like it there. It's it,
0: it's, it's it is fun. pretty good. They also have extremely enthusiastic volunteers who are wonderful. Many of them were extras in the film or, or were when it opened. Um, and I went, I went with my sister at one point, who's a, like yourself, Ben, a very big Potter fan. And one of the very enthusiastic, very helpful volunteers started explaining which dragon we were looking at a model of. (laughs) And we walked off (laughs) and my sister went to me, as if I wouldn't be able to recognise a Norwegian Ridgeback. (laughs)
2: That's hilarious. The funny thing is with the rides, they uh, they did two phases of them. And the first Mm. phase, obviously, all the cast got involved. Uh, and they recorded sections and there's bits of video of them doing it. And then in the second phase, uh, Emma Watson wouldn't do it. So you you go into the ride and you've got Tanya uh, Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and then shit Hermione, no. who sounds absolutely nothing like her. And well, they just got some random, nothing, yeah, just some yes. random. Oh, you're female, God brilliant. Much. You know, off you go. And uh, yeah, and you get um, what, are, what are they? Apparated. You get oh, yeah. apparated mm. by, oh, by by on. shit Hermione.
0: Mm. Oh. What else? Um, else? So
2: the other one I had
1: um, was something that was in London for a while, but Uh it's a touring exhibition uh, that I think now has left London, possibly not the UK, um, the Star Wars Identities exhibition, which was at the O2 for quite a while Mm. last year. I went to this for something for my last job to do some filming there and I'm a big Star Wars fan. I was really looking forward to it and the, the sort of gimmick of it was that you go and you create your own Star Wars character as you go around and it digs into the mythology and uh, and yeah, you kind of make various choices as to who you would be in the Star Wars universe. That massively buried the lead because the real thing was that there were like 200 or 300 like real uh, kind of props and the actual mod- the actual Millennium Falcon that they used to film all the model work in Empire Strikes Back. Han Solo's actual trousers. What? The like actual Millennium BBA, Falcon? The actual Millennium
2: Falcon. The actual one? The, the, the actual th- one. The I've been in on the set of Empire Strikes Back? Oh, no, like one. the little oh, okay. model. The, all the all the like model work that he oh, did. Just checking. And- checking.
0: <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. You've probably <laughs> never heard men- James mention that before, oh, but no. he was on set.
1: Oh, <laughs> I've never heard that before. Um, there's the actual Han Solo in Carbonite and Oh, it it was incredible. And I I found myself looking at all the posters on the tube saying, don't push the, like, you make a Star Wars character, push these are actual, like, genuine kind of Star Wars props and uh, things from over the years. That was amazing. If if you ever see that touring, I think it's at least touring Europe, maybe still going around um, the UK.
0: Get on! Definitely, it. Yeah. definitely go for you cool. well. I have the same. Um, I have the same problem that many of my favorite sort of movie experiences have been touring things. So I think we went, James, uh, back in the day to two different exhibitions, which were the Pixar exhibition at the Science Museum. Were you? Yes, that one? this rings a bell. That was phenomenal. It was Pixar concept art and everything else. They had this incredible. I don't know what the word for it is, but a thing that that uh, rotates and through the use of flashing images, it becomes animated. But it but was like, a model. Like a sort of rota- it wasn't a like a. I don't know if that's what you call it, but anyway, it was incredible and I loved it and that was amazing. And also at the Science Museum, they had the Lord of the Rings exhibition, Ooh. which I, I had almost a similar reaction to the actual props of that one because it was things like they had printed the lining of Denethor's tunic with his house coat of arms and that kind of thing. Like the <laughs> level of obsessive, compulsive detail in that was mind-blowing and absolutely they're beautiful, beautiful things and I still regret that I did not feel able at that point to spend £140 on a hobbit cloak <laughs> because they, they were things of beauty. The, the, just the wool involved in those cloaks, they're gorgeous, gorgeous things and uh, and they were phenomenal.
2: It's funny you mention that. I went to the Lord of the Rings exhibition when it was at Te Papa in New Zealand where they had absolutely everything. It was the entire museum pretty much was taken over and this is, I think, the biggest museum in New Zealand with just everything, you know, wall to wall. There were like, elven swords everywhere and I remember they had this one chamber where the one ring was kind of <sighs> sitting and and had Sauron over it, and you went in, and it was just the elven script projected on all the walls. It's really dark, so it's just red projections, and you just heard, like, the sort of like, Gandalf's voice speaking the black tongue of Mordor <gasps> from the ring, and it was
0: so cool.
2: <laughs> uh, that was very cool. I, I think that's one of the only, like, proper museum-type things I've been to. I mean, I've been to... The Lucasfilm Archives at Skywalker mm. Ranch. Obviously, you can't of really course, buy tickets yeah. for that, but that's amazing because they have all of the props from all of the films, and they've got the amazing mats they used in obviously the Star Wars films. Also, all the other Lucasfilm stuff. There's uh, the mat of the um, you know where the Ark ends up at the end of Raiders of the Lost Star. In fact, the Ark is actually in the archive. Oh the Ark is there, as is the Grail and the Grail Diary, and uh, numerous versions of the Golden Idol. So they've got the one from the final film. And they've got the early idol, which actually had, there was a shot in it where it had kind of human eyes where the mm-hmm. eyes followed him, which they didn't use, but that version's in there as well. Wow. Uh, so I have, uh, I have, I've hung around with that. And then the only other thing which comes close is when we shot James Cameron for the thing we did in the magazine last year, the Big Empire interview. Uh, we shot him on uh, in his own little personal museum space where he's got all of the props in his films. So you've got the Na'vi hair, sorts of Na'vi artefacts, the power loader from Aliens is in there, the alien queen from Aliens is in there, uh, the Titanic, the kind of whatever it is to scale-ish... It's about fifty feet long. Sort of it's oh the model of the Titanic, and then next to it is the model of the sunken Titanic. Mm. Uh, and he's even of all the random things he's got in there. So he's got the like the the helm of the ship is in there, like the wheel, whatnot.
0: I went to the Stanley Kubrick <laughs> exhibition Ooh. at uh, I think it was at LACMA in LA. Oh, did you know? A few years ago, and that was phenomenal, and made me made me love Stanley Kubrick a lot more than I was otherwise inclined to. Mm-hmm. And also is a fantastic opportunity to learn something that will enable you to win arguments with Spielberg skeptics by showing you that the ending of AI was Kubrick's. <laughs> Stop adding me about this. <laughs> anyway, so that was that was a really good one mm-hmm. as well. But in terms of you know um, permanent museums, I mean the. The Sydney Museum in London, is that still open? It is, I I think. It it is, is. good, because it's fantastic and it has Ray Harryhausen models, which Mm -hmm. blew my mind a bit, and another Alien Queen, which is phenomenal looking. Um, and, And it is a really, that's a really good afternoon, actually. I have to say, it's really lovely.
1: Extremely high up my list of would love to go to is the Ghibli Museum. Um, which, which if gold, anyone yeah. fancies giving me a couple of grand to go <laughs> out to Tokyo um, and then head out to the Ghibli Museum I'd love to do that it, uh, all the pictures and stuff you can have a look on- online but they've got huge kind of gardens and giant scale models of the um, the robots from Laputa and there is like a, an exclusive Ghibli short that you can only see mm. in the museum, I think probably still in Japanese but you can at least look at all the lovely diagrams.
2: Nick and Chris have been there um, yeah. but yeah they said it was great of course it is mm. in Japan though I'm sure there's a cat Bus, you there is a that. cat
1: bus you can ride the cat
2: bus.
0: Mm. Amazing. I want to uh,
2: go. The the other one that was um at my list and uh, was a
1: touring exhibition mm. um is the Guillermo del Toro exhibition that's been yes. on fairly recently yeah. so my, my sister went, she lives in Toronto um, and she got to go while it was there and I was looking at all of her photos of it just with intense jealousy um, so it's got, I think stuff from his personal monster collection yep. and then loads of stuff from his films as well, so there's like a big model of the Pale Man from uh, Pan's Labyrinth, they seem to have loads of beautiful costumes from Crimson Peak, yep. um, which whatever you think of that film, the, the production design on it is absolutely gorgeous, um, so that would be high on my list I think it's still been moving around some other US cities I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to see it here but if it does I will be first in line for tickets
0: I also get just geeked out just going to locations where big stuff has happened Um, I went to Haddon Hall uh, in Yorkshire uh, last year for the Finally, for the first time. And that is one of the places that they filmed, The Princess Bride. It's a oh. lot of Humperdinck's Castle is Haddon Hall. And I had a moment. I really did. I had a moment. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, and even just like the first time I went to New York and went up the Empire State Building or went to the New York Public Library, mm. it's its kind of a trip. Like just, just anywhere where I think one of your beloved films has happened is, is pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's kind of nice living in London that way sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. You sometimes wander around and go, yeah seen
1: this on screen i'm from nottingham as well and um the the dark knight rises shot all of the wayne manor stuff in woolerton hall uh in nottingham which i used to go to loads as a a kid like we used to go and and they've got like big parks and grounds and stuff and they do film screenings there now i think they showed the dark knight rises at woolerton hall but that was such a surreal experience of thinking that like nolan and Chris and bale and and everyone was like (laughs) 10 minutes down the road from my house uh from where i grew up filming that.
0: If you would like your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can uh, get us on Twitter where we are at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we might not see it. Uh, On Facebook we are also Empire Magazine. It shows a little bit of a lack of originality there. Uh, And if you want to email us we are podcast at empireonline.com so please do get in touch. Right, time now for some lovely moving news which will hopefully contain some snippets to warm the frozen cockles of our hearts. Um... What shall we start with? Shall we start with news of Kristen Wiig?
2: Sure. What, what, what news of Kristen Wiig, what Helen? News? Uh,
0: the news is that she is in talks to play the villain in Wonder Woman 2, whatever we're mm. calling it. Uh, so she would be playing uh, uh, Cheetah, who's a, a long-standing Wonder Woman villain, and this would be the Barbara Ann Minerva incarceration of, of, uh, of Cheetah, apparently, who's an, uh, an heiress who went through an ancient ritual involving eating human blood mixed with special berries, a bit like Black Panther, but a bit more... A bit of
1: seasoning there.
0: Bit of seasoning, a bit of seasoning, like, a bit of cannibalism there on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she gets superhuman feline powers. That's lucky. Um, but she has to pay a price for them, of course. Why? Are
2: they expensive?
0: I, I think, like, morally. <laughs>
2: oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, <laughs> James doesn't understand that. No.
0: <laughs> so, I've... yeah, it's an un- unusual baby choice for that, I would have said.
2: Is she a lot like Chitara from Thundercats?
0: Is anyone like Chitara from Thundercats? There is only one Chitara, sure. But yeah, there's there's no deal in place yet. This is talks apparently, but apparently Paddy Jenkins saw her eye and talked to her about this role and talked it up, and she's been developed. Uh, Jenkins obviously been developing the film mm-hmm. with her co-writers at the moment, so we don't have any you know details yet. the The rumor is that the movie set during the Cold War, so it would still be a period piece mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the Justice League movies, um, but we don't know. Much more than that, but I, I, don't know. I think this is. I mean, I, I think Kristen Wiig could make a great villain, but she has usually played more comedic villains. Yeah, has
1: she? Has she um, done some more serious roles? I'm having a bit of a Kristen Wiig mind blank.
0: I mean, she has. I mean, things like um, maybe Skeleton Twins and mm-hmm. stuff like that was a, was a lot more serious. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she's certainly a hell of an actress. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a bit of a disconnect. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have thought in terms of between her and the comic book.
1: I think as well for people who have, um, who don't really see. Kristen Wiig fitting into that world. Um, uh, some, I think somebody pointed out on our Twitter that, like, when when Heath Ledger was first announced sure, for yeah. The Dark Knight, like, I remember thinking, I don't get it. Mm. It's, it's
2: that dude it's, from A Knight's Tale. Yeah. What the fuck?
0: I mean, pre-internet, when they announced Michael Keaton for Batman, you know, oh, people yeah. went absolutely bananas. So, absolutely. I mean, you know, not to not to do anyone down. I, I love her. I think mm. she's great. But it it is. It is a, a very big step away from how the character looks and acts. I would say in the mm-hmm. comics, so that, which could be a good thing, which could mean that they're doing something really unusual and really different with mm-hmm. her, which is some, always good to be surprising. But, uh, but yeah, this is—I think it's a bit of a surprise, uh, but not necessarily a bad one. So, fingers crossed for that. So, Wonder Woman is two is due in I think twenty nineteen. Got a bit yep. of time on it. What other news?
1: So, the one that's uh, towards the top of my list is the trailer for. Ralph breaks the internet: Wreck It Ralph two, uh, going going to the Lost World Jurassic Park uh, way round of doing the the sequel name colon and then uh, and then the the franchise we know and love. Uh, but yeah, the the first trailer arrived two days ago. As of you guys listen to this now, and it looks kind of like the emoji movie done right. Helen, you, you reviewed the Emoji Movie, right? It was done. I did. It was done. It was, it was done right. done wrong. It, <laughs> was, it was so. It was so wrong. Um, yeah, it looks like an intriguingly similar premise. So, as the title suggests, in this one, Ralph and Vanellope von Schweetz uh, get uploaded to the internet, and uh, quite a lot of the trailer plays on them suddenly finding themselves in the World Wide Web and encountering various sort of brands and stuff that that we already know and that we use every day, but. Baked within that, there are some really like impressively weird jokes. Um, so there's a great bit uh, of them looking at weird eBay auctions of them staring into the eyes of a sad kitten painting. And there's a final joke with uh, an iPad game where Ralph starts... Force feeding this bunny insane amounts of pancakes until it explodes, and it's got syrup oozing from its mouth, and it just looks really strange and and uh, and weird. So I enjoyed the trailer quite a lot. I'm looking forward to what they do with this. I'm not going to lie to you, Ben.
2: Mm-hmm. I haven't watched the trailer. Okay. Uh, but I have
0: <laughs> I hashtag have, top film <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: nothing if not professional uh, I have however seen a couple of very extended sequences from this mm-hmm. film uh, and it looks really really good the stuff I've seen is there's loads and loads of funny stuff on uh, you know on advertising pop up, spam and viruses so yes. there's lots of internet gags in there and there's a bit where they go to what is essentially disney.com and mm-hmm. there's Star Wars stuff there's a Stanley Lee Cam, and I go, Yes,
1: <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think um, it's going to have that ready player one thing right like, it's yeah, going to be the yeah, year it of spot spot
2: spot but there's a bit where Vanellope ends up sort of like hanging out doing like a slumber party with all the Disney princesses mm. <gasps> all voiced by the actual Disney princesses oh, really? I mean every oh single one including Merida as well oh, yeah. uh, and there's some really really good gags in there like genuinely very mm-hmm. well written very observant incredibly wry and absolutely lost on anyone under the age of 18 <laughs> but really really good stuff in there so yeah I'm, I'm really excited about this I am not at all a fan of Wreck-It Ralph oh, I really? think it was a horrendous missed up Opportunity because I am, you know, I know my computer games and I went in there expecting like an homage to computer games. And what we got was maybe five minutes of that at the beginning and featuring the games they could get the licenses to yeah. include. So, you know, little Street Pac-Man. Fighter, a little bit of Sonic, you know, and then uh, and then uh, like it. a crappy StarCraft mm-hmm. rip-off. No, I was not happy with any of that <laughs> shit. And then it became a game about sweets and go-karts. So, <laughs> oh, yes, this is a riff on Mario Kart, but actually you don't have any of the characters or any of the properties, so this has nothing to do with video games no, at all.
0: James. Sorry.
2: I thought that was a missed opportunity. However, this one seems to be correcting all of that. They seem to have worked out exactly what it is they want to do. They've made sure that they can legally do. I mean, it helps that Disney own the universe, so mm-hmm. by using Disney properties, they're <laughs> absolutely golden. Um, so they've got the Marvel, they've got Star Wars, they got everything. Yeah, I think this could be really good. Genuinely, genuinely, I'm very looking forward to this. I'm also very
1: excited to see what Kanye West makes of Wreck-It Ralph 2 because I'm a massive Kanye fan of his music and his long rambly interviews. And one of my favourite things is that he often brings up a scene from Wreck-It Ralph when he's talking about how he doesn't feel welcomed in the fashion industry. Uh, So he always brings up the bit where Vanellope um, von Schweetz uh, has her car wrecked by uh, the mean mean racers from the the Sugar Rush game. And he's given interviews before where he's kind of talking about how... That's what he relates to and shouting, I am the glitch. People see me as the glitch.
0: Oh, bless. Um,
1: So I'm really intrigued to see what he gets out of this and if it uh, influences anything he's got coming up.
0: I mean, fingers crossed for (laughs) a Ralph Breaks the Internet tie-in fashion line, right?
1: I mean, I would buy it.
0: Uh, I mean, well, that's one. So that's, that's <laughs> one good sold. news. That is one sold. Um, uh, at the other end of the sort of um, maturity spectrum, uh, in terms of who can watch a film,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, there is news of Quentin Tarantino's latest. Yes. So it now has an official title.
2: Quentin Breaks the Internet.
0: <laughs> I mean, possibly, but it's uh, they're going with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. So... We now know that Leonardo DiCaprio will be playing a former Western TV star called Rick Dalton, which is a great Western TV yeah, star name. Yeah, a very TV star name. That is solid. And Pitt plays his stuntman.
1: Yeah, Cliff yeah, so Brad Booth. Pitt is back, uh, back teaming it with uh, with Tarantino for the first time since Inglorious
0: Bastards. Would it be? I believe so. Yeah. Which
1: we were discussing. The Office is terrifyingly ten years old this year. Oh, How what? has that happened? Yeah. Yep. Uh, no,
0: what? No. I Listen. think
1: so,
2: or maybe, oh, maybe it was 2009. Maybe on. one by the time year this off. comes, hang out. on, hang on, I'm interrupting this to bring you a very special broadcast. Oh no! Hello. 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 <laughs> Hello? What's <you> doing? <laughs> Nothing really. We're recording a podcast, Chris. What's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> How is your Infinity War feature going? Shh.
0: Inf- don't, infinity don't by anyone. name, infinity by nature. <laughs> don't tell anyone.
1: Uh, it's uh,
3: it's not. <laughs> but it's going very well. Excellent. It's, it's going great. And as soon as, I, uh, as soon as I start, it's going to be brilliant. Uh, we
2: we yes, are in the process of discussing news. We're talking about the uh, new Tarantino.
3: I, I have no opinions on that. Uh, all I can see at the moment is Tony Stark, so it's all good. Um, but I just wanted to call, call you three to tell you that um,
0: I miss you and I love you. <laughs> and I cannot wait to be with you again.
2: <laughs> thanks, see Chris. You Chris. We feel the same way.
0: Do we? Okay,
2: thanks so much, guys. <laughs> uh, and never call me again. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Bye. 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 Well that was a thing. That was Chris. Never one to knowingly let a podcast go <laughs> no. by without being in it.
0: He uh he, he sounds yes, he he sounds like a broken man, to be honest. I mean it's I, I can't see why it's not like he has 40 a list stars to transcribe. <laughs> Is that the ultimate procrastination, phoning <laughs> to transcribe, in a podcast that you're not edit on? <laughs> into a feature. <laughs> And generally make something out of It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Anyway, we were talking about Tarantino. Yes, 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 we were. Um, So so we know this film is set Mm. in the 1960s. We're now told that the Manson murders are a backdrop rather than a focus. Mm -hmm. But we're also told that Dalton, that's DiCaprio's character, is neighbours with Sharon Tate, who was, of course, a victim of the Mansons. And that is the role that Margot Robbie is said to be Mm. circling. So we shall see.
1: So it could be a, a grand reunion for for Tarantino and Brad Pitt, and also Leo and, um, and Margot Robbie reuniting for the first time since Wolf of Wall Street. Good point. That which is, is one heck of a cast. That in, is, uh, yeah,
0: is that is a solid solid cast, mm. and I am much more comfortable with having the Manson Factory <coughs> uh, Manson murders as a backdrop rather than a focus yeah. because ew, gross, and and also the whole idea of you know releasing it on the anniversary of the killing spree is is still quite gross. So. Yeah. Hey ho! Um, but it, I mean, you know, the idea of DiCaprio and Pitt together, I think, is really intriguing, and that should be quite cool.
1: Definitely. I, I mean, it's always intriguing to see what what Tarantino's cooking up next. So, mm. uh, whatever we find out about it, go in the in the run up. I think we'll all be there on opening night.
0: Absolutely. Now, Tarantino obviously known for good film music, but there is one film that's known for better film music than any Tarantino film, and that is, of course, Nine to Five. Which has hands down the greatest theme tune in the history of Hollywood. Don't even at me. I'm not interested in your opinions. Dolly Parton is a goddess. Do you know Dolly Parton has given away a hundred million books to un- underprivileged kids in the US? hundred million books. Know that. This woman. That's
2: no, no one. No one can read a hundred million books. Helen. That's
0: ridiculous. <laughs> you, you haven't seen my library. Um, she has given away a hundred million books around the US over the last. I don't know. 30, 40 years or something. Um, She has her own freaking theme park. The woman is is amazing. And of course, this film, the original film starred uh, Dolly with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. What an incredible lineup. It was, it's a really, it's still a comedy that stands up. And actually it's a comedy that is extremely timely right now because it is all about an awful sexist boss and three young women trying to deal with him in the workplace, who all have their own different problems with him. Um, so it's it's a phenomenal film. It's, it's been made into a stage show in the, in the me- meantime. I think Alison Janney was in it, James. Mm-hmm. So you know it's good. It's auto- um, I'm
2: automatically going to see this now. <laughs> <laughs> so so what is this a new version? In so the this works?
0: would be a new version. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get the original three back for appearances. Now I have to say the obviously uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin have been working together on the fantastic TV show Grace and Frankie, which stars. Um, Also, Martin Sheen, James. And also
2: Lily Tomlin, who was also in the West Wing. Who was also in the West Wing. (laughs) So you
0: know this is good stuff. So, uh, So they've been working together and they've been trying, apparently, to get Dolly Parton to appear in that. And so far, the schedules obviously haven't lined up. But they are trying to get all three of them back in some circumstance for this film, whether they'd play the original characters or just older ladies, perhaps mothers, grandmothers, whatever, don't know. Um, But apparently the original co-writer and creator, uh, Patricia Resnick, is ready to return and she's talking to to Rashida Jones, which is exciting, Mm. about working together on an updated screenplay that would see three young women dealing with sexism in the workplace so it seems incredibly timely, given Me Too and Time's Up and all the rest. Um, and it was a massive hit back in the day. I'm not sure if anyone deserves the chance to re-record or touch or remix or do anything with that theme tune, but I'm open to suggestions if there's someone out there who's brilliant. But yeah, that, that is a thing that is at least in development. So that's, it's only said to be in development. It's a very early stage. You obviously need three modern equivalents of Lily, Jane and Dolly. No pressure, but I'm excited.
1: Having never seen the original, is this another one that I should add to my Friday night film list?
0: I genuinely think you should. It's mm-hmm. weird. Like, it's okay. a lot weirder than I thought it was going to be just hearing about it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's pretty cool.
1: What uh, pizza and alcoholic <laughs> beverage would we... Oh, are you guys both teetotalers?
0: No. 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 Well, yeah. No. I mean, no. no. no.
2: very rarely, rarely. What, what food and drink combination should I pay? Well, well with the only alcohol I like, like is sambuca, so I'm not sure that's going to help you very much. That's really no. intense. <laughs> and that, it tastes like sweets, Ben.
0: I mean, I'm not sure if I'm being sort of, you know, just stereotypical here, but mm-hmm. probably a wine is the one okay. to have with the film, given
2: I'll give you a wine. the
0: subject. Well, you always do, James.
2: <laughs> just saying.
0: <laughs> um, in terms of food, uh, I think a good American burger would be fine, actually. I mean, given that, you know, Dolly Parton, she doesn't seem like a salad eater, even if she is. She seems like a burger eater.
2: Well, that's my next Friday lined up. There you go. No, 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 no. Right, so you've seen Commando. <laughs> have you seen, seen Raw in. Deal? I've not seen it. Have you either. seen Predator? I've seen Predator. Okay, I was, that him. was a trick question because you were getting fired if you hadn't <laughs> seen that one. <laughs> okay. R- have you seen The Running Man?
0: Oh, come on. The Running Man is not more essential than 9 to 5. That will be ridiculous. Don't be you? ridiculous.
2: How dare you?
0: Come on. I can say that because I just watched Predator again the other day. Yeah. I've had my shot.
2: Don't worry, Ben. We will educate you. Once you've seen Schwarzenegger's entire back catalogue, okay. then you can <laughs> watch <laughs> 9 to 5. Okay.
0: <laughs> Wow! Really, all 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 of them?
2: Yeah, except everything. Everything since he came back from politics, you can probably skip. Okay. But but you know, everything up to Terminator Three, you have to watch. Oh, I've man. seen Terminator. I've seen
1: all the Terminators. Well, not the not Salvation, but Salvation's
2: not that bad. I, that gets a really hard time.
0: Uh, Silver Surfer movie. The,
2: the, the, the movie no one's been crying out for. <laughs> uh, yeah, a standalone Silver Surfer movie. I know this because I've Googled it and I have it on my screen now. And there's a Silver Surfer standalone movie in the works, it says. Keep scrolling. Here. There we yes. go. Um, and it turned... Oh, yeah, well, obviously, the last time we saw him was in Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer, mm-hmm. which we can all agree is a spectacularly good film. Um, <laughs> and I now said, but... he is back. Uh, Brian K. Vaughan is writing a new take uh, that will bring the character back, possibly with Galactus. Not with Galactus, we don't know. Let's hope because Galactus is, you know, a giant planet-eating guy, and that's always funny. And not a giant cloud. No, let's just get that. He's straight. not a cloud. He has a big hat. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm sure. Why not? Do it. Like, where Fine. is this going to sit with
1: the sort of Disney and it's not. Fox deal and the nobody the knows. Marvel so I think.
2: And- I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Is this actually going to get made? Mm. Because I feel a lot like a lot of the, you know, the X-Men universe stuff. Like if I had to guess, I would say, uh, depending on how well Deadpool 2 does, that will like if that makes a shit ton of money, then that will probably continue in some form or fashion. And but I feel a lot like the X-Men stuff will all kind of wind down and they will reboot mm-hmm. all of that within the MCU and then all this stuff will just get brushed under.
1: I mean, it's kind of a good time to do that right now that Logan has wrapped up
2: yeah, with it, Wolverine. you're and, quite right. But and, there's, I think there's a bit of time. Like, this deal's not mm-hmm. going to go through that quickly. So I yeah. think we have some breathing room and obviously they want to churn this mm-hmm. stuff out in the meantime which I can kind of understand, but obviously New Mutants has now been pushed back by a year. Did you hear that adding yeah. a whole new character I to that? I was
0: just going to say, yeah. this is... Who are they adding? They are adding... Are they, I don't believe I don't that they've said. Thing. It's currently undisclosed. If it's
2: Stan me. Lee, I'm going to burn them all <laughs> in there.
0: No, I think this is like a character who is a part of the film, like a big part of the story. And they have uh, done these reshoots recently and they have knocked back the release date, I believe, a little bit further to allow them to add... A, N, other. Now, that actually does support the chance of at least one of these other movies happening. Yeah. So Because mm. in, the, in the works, we have this, in theoretical, still Silver Surfer by Brian K. Vaughan. Mm-hmm. We have the Kitty Pride film with Tim Miller and Brian Michael Bendis. Mm-hmm. We have Drew Goddard's X-Force, as well as obviously Deadpool 2, and uh, a Doctor Doom film from Noah Hawley, who mm-hmm. created Legion. So, if I was guessing, and I am absolutely only guessing the most obvious one you would think in New Mutants would be Kitty Pride. right? Make,
2: it makes the most sense. Yeah. And also she fits in with that cast and that world. Exactly. But it's hard to be, you know, scared of a horror thing when you're <laughs> intangible. Yeah, you can run away. just through, <laughs> run away. Literally <laughs> run through it, run away, run through a wall, fall through the floor. Basically can't be heard.
0: Unless she turns up, you know, at some other time or, or it comes in early and then leaves. Or There's got to be something. Or maybe but-
2: her powers are glitching.
0: <gasps> or maybe well,
1: she could get everyone else out, right? She yeah. could she could phase everyone yeah. else. Out
0: of the Unless situation. like it depends what powers the villain has, mm. I guess. But yeah, this is so. Anyway, we don't know enough to know much at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is news. I mean, there's from, a lot in
1: the works. On there's on a the, lot in the works. The Fox Marvel side of things,
0: and and maybe there's something to be said for throwing a lot of balls up in the air and mm-hmm. seeing what lands where on whose head on hand on whose head be it yes Yeah. speaking of comics as we tend to be somehow um, we started off with talking about Kristen Wigg playing a character mm-hmm. whose surname was Minerva well that brings me neatly <laughs> to the news that Gemma Chan may be joining Captain Marvel and she's apparently cast as a character called Min-Irva that's
2: oh, Min wow. with two N's the yep. intern was in charge of that that character got created
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's maybe not their absolute best word. In fairness, of course, we're talking about two different comic universes here, DC mm-hmm. and Marvel, um, two very different characters, um, Min- Minerva with hyphenation. And I do love a person who has punctuation in their name because I identify strongly <laughs> with them. She is a Cree geneticist and spy um, and she has a very complicated uh, comic book history. So she could be any kind of mm. goody, baddie, neutrally virtually anything actually um so we we just don't know what they're going to do with her
1: yeah i mean i don't know very much about the character but um i really like Gemma chan she's Mm -hmm. been amazing i don't know if you guys have watched um humans on channel four which um i think season three is coming up but yeah she she's great in that show and um on the one hand she has to be entirely robotic and then on the other hand has to be entirely human and she works that spectrum like really spectacularly um so it's really great to see her getting like a
2: being propelled, really, to, to the next level.
0: That's probably it for movie news, I think. Yeah. It's probably all we, all the time we have.
2: Except M. Oh. Night Shyamalan oh. is doing a TV show for Apple that we don't know anything about. We don't know what it's about, we don't know what it's called. But it comes coinciding, uh, well, coinciding with news that his other TV show that he kind of produced, mm. uh, Wayward Pines, has, Shock Corridor's May, been cancelled. Which is a shame, actually, because I really enjoyed season one. Do you see about Wayward Pines? Did you I did not, know? sorry. No. It's Matt Dillon. I, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed season one. And then season two, I will confess, was not good. I mean, season
1: one covered the entire book trilogy, right? It did, so, yeah. Which was a great idea, because he just think, let's not faff around, let's just condense it all like it made for a really exciting first season and then they decided
2: to continue it past the books and didn't really with a time jump and Dylan wasn't in it anymore and it was I mean yeah the second season was you could say it went (laughs) (laughs) wayward you could indeed say that and I am pining for a third season that I will never see but let's move on
0: Okay, listen, I think that really is enough now for movie news. So it is time for a guest. And this week we have a man who definitely has a favourite leading lady, but who swears it's not because they're secretly related uh, and that they just happen to share a surname. Francis Lawrence, for it is he, made his mark with a criminally underrated Constantine. Yes, I said it and then went on to make I Am Legend before making three Hunger Games films with a certain Jennifer Lawrence. He reunites with his Katniss Everdeen in this week's Red Sparrow, a hard-edged spy story where Lawrence plays a woman trained to use sex as a weapon to secure information from the other side in a modern-day Cold War. We've all done it. <laughs> OK. Uh, we sent. Who did we send along to speak to him? Me. It was Ben. It was me. Here we go. So here you are, Francis and Ben.
1: Great. So uh, I'm thrilled to be joined here on the Empire podcast by the director of Red Sparrow, Francis Lawrence. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing well. Thanks. Fantastic. Um, So to start things off, um, when did you first come across the script for Red Sparrow? Uh, Had you read the novel first or did you uh, come across the script?
3: No, I I, I read the novel first. Fox sent me the novel. I think it was in 2015. We were finishing Mockingjay part two. I was in post on that film. And yeah, Fox, Fox sent it to me and I read it and fell in love with it and sort of got started on it right away. And so by the time that we were finished with press and release of Mocking J2, this was basically ready to, to go. What was it that
1: stood out about the novel for you?
3: Uh, I think I fell I fell in love with the character of Dominica. I just thought that she was very unique and I thought that her character journey was really unique. And I, I also just thought it was a very new way of getting into a spy film. I've been always been a fan of the spy genre. But Anything that's very genre-specific tends to fall into certain kinds of tropes, and I found this story, this narrative, very unique.
1: You mentioned you'd just come off the back of working with Jennifer Lawrence for, for three films in the Hunger Games series. Yes, when you read the book and when you were working on the script, did you always think of Jennifer Lawrence for that lead role? Did she immediately spring to mind or, or did it come through uh, some other process?
3: No, I thought about her immediately. Even, even while reading the book, I thought um, I was thinking about Jennifer for it. And I knew she could do a great job. We obviously enjoy working together. Um, and oddly, I thought she could look Russian, which I thought was you know part of what, what, what would work. Um, but I, So very early on, I actually pitched her the story uh, in a very sort of cursory way, just to say, hey, hypothetically, would you be interested in doing a movie like this and a character like this? And she said yes. And so both the studio and I thought of Jen all the way through the development. Um, but honestly, I was a little nervous she wasn't going to want to do it mm-hmm. uh, because she wasn't really aware of the content of the movie at the time when I, <laughs> p- when, I, when I pitched it. And I knew she had not really been interested in doing anything with um, – nudity or, or overt sexuality you know when she was younger and i didn't know if her mind had changed or not so um, but I mean, she wanted to do it when she read the script
1: what was it like reuniting with her what what does she uh bring to the role for you and and what does she bring to a film set
3: well, I mean, she's a, look, she's a, she's a fantastic actress. I mean, she, she could do anything, anything she wants. Um, and I think one of the things that really excited me about doing this with her was we had just spent about five years together doing three movies and with her playing the same character. We love those movies, the themes, the story, the characters, all that. But after five years, you're like, okay, let's try, try something new. So to be able to go and create a completely different world with a new character where she looks different, she sounds different, she moves differently, Um, She pushes herself into new territory. That was really exciting to me. Um, So that was one huge thing. I mean, the other great thing about Jen is she's just really fun to work with. I'm a big believer that, you know, the bulk of our lives, whether you're an actor, a director, a crew member, right, is spent making the movies, not watching them be released into the world. And so honestly, the fun part has to be making the movie, because if a movie works or it doesn't work in the end the bulk of your time was making it and she's fun to work with she's really good at what she does so that's always exciting but she can turn the character on and off when she needs to and she's fun to be around she's funny she's smart um so just a great partner and and she's just one part of a,
1: an amazing cast that you've yes, got together for yes. this. you've got um even people like charlotte rampling and, yeah. and jeremy irons in uh, kind of supporting roles um what was it like being able to pull together actors of that caliber uh, for Red Sparrow?
3: Well, one of the first things that happens is, um, you know, you have this kind of wish list of people. And luckily I got everybody on my wish list. You know, there's a certain moment where these people are signing on where you're kind of validated because you've been working on a script. And so you hope people aren't sort of turning it down all the time. Um, And so you got, you know, there's a, a feeling of validation, but also an excitement to get to work with some of the people that you've wanted to work with for a really long time. I mean, of course, you know, Jeremy Irons is one of the greatest actors of all time. I mean, Charlotte Rampling is unbelievable. Um, Matthias, you know, I've loved him since I saw him in Bullhead and Rust and Bone. I mean, he's fantastic. And Joel, Joel, I mean, I remember seeing him, I think, for the first time in Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend Scott Cooper directed him in Black Mass and just said what a great guy he was. And, and I honestly think that he's one of the best working actors today. I mean, of that age range, I think he's probably the best.
1: You you alluded before uh, to the fact that this is a very different sort of role uh, for Jennifer Lawrence. And one of the things you mentioned uh, was the accent. There's always, I think when you've got uh, a, a film set in or around Russia, how far you go with the accent. How did you make the decision that you did to have everyone speaking obviously English but with that Russian inflection and how far did you want to push that?
3: Well, there's a few the, the few ways of going about this, this kind of language issue. Um, one is you do it all in Russian and you subtitle it, which I just was not going to do because mm-hmm. uh, you, you're basically then making a foreign language film uh, and I wasn't interested in that. The other version is the sort of Hunt for Red October version where people start speaking in Russian and then you do some sort of weird transition effect and then everybody's in their own dialect, whether it's American or Scottish or, you know, whatever. And I didn't want to do that. They did it very well, but I didn't want to copy that. And so I went the route of the the hint of accent. I think a Russian accent is easy to get really heavy with. Um, it's very, a lot of people sort of over overdo it. And we did a ton of research, honestly. What I did was first I went to uh, my casting director and said, hey, listen, I need you to go out and find young women who are Russian but have been living in America for a very long time. So they have a very light accent. And so... She sent me, I don't know, five or six young women. I picked one with Jen. We used her as a reference. We then brought in dialect coaches. He brought in more women with more recordings. Um, and then we started to use that as a reference. Then we also brought in some, some men so that the men could listen to some men. But it was, all, it was all based on that. But it was always the idea was to go very, very, very light. So it was sort of a hint. It was kind of just part of the fabric of the world. One of the things I loved
1: um, was the opening sequence, which focuses pretty heavily on the on the ballet side of um, of Dominika's character. Uh, What was it like shooting the ballet sequence? And did you look at other uh, kind of classic? ballet-inflected films uh, to, to kind of take reference for that?
3: I didn't really look at a lot of ballet, other, uh, other ballet films. I did a lot of research on the ballet. I mean, I didn't know that much about the ballet before starting this movie. That's part of the fun for me is getting to know things that I wasn't, you know, really, you know, that knowledgeable about. And so I watched a lot of documentaries. And one of those documentaries uh, was how I found my choreographer, uh, Justin Pack, with the New York City Ballet. So we got in contact with him. He agreed to do it. So we started basically having him choreograph. A sort of an interpretation of the Firebird, um, using elements of the Firebird music. Uh, then we ha- got Jen hooked up with a trainer, and she trained for three or four months, working maybe four hours a day or something like that, doing different exercises to learn how to open up her joints, learn the choreography, learn how to control her arms, her fingers, how to stand right, get the right posture. All of this, and she learned the choreographer or choreography and our choreographer also had um he's off you know he choreographs for new york city ballet so he knows a lot of ballerinas and he picked isabella boylston who's with the abt who's a fantastic dancer she's a principal there and she was jen's double and so shooting this sequence what we did was um you know we shot in the budapest opera house and we had 800 extras out in the audience and we would bring isabella out and she would do whatever piece we were going to get a shot for Mm -hmm. The, the choreography was sort of split up into kind of four chunks she would do it and then we'd bring Jen out and she would do it and so we could marry the two together so you have Jen's kind of emotion and face and basically neck up and a lot of things mm-hmm. and then the dancing for you know legs and all that kind of stuff typically would be would be Isabella so it's a it's now a combo but it was our probably our most complicated. Visual effects sequence in the movie.
1: One of the things I really loved uh, about the film overall was that it is a real proper kind of grown up thriller that you don't necessarily see that often anymore. Right. I mean, it's it's really uh, there's some really dark moments in there. It's pretty uncompromising, and the the plot is quite intricate. You have to really kind of keep up with it as it goes along. Yes. Were all of those elements important to you in bringing that from the book to the screen?
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think. I liked the idea, idea of doing um, a real thriller, mm-hmm. an R-rated thriller. Uh, that's how the book read to me. Uh, that's what I pitched to the studio. Luckily, the studio was um, very positive about that, and they were great partners. They said yes to my approach and to the R-rating from the beginning, and they never wavered. Uh, luckily, it's a studio that's had some great success with R-rated films, mm-hmm. Uh, recently. So, so they really embraced it. Uh, but it, you know, it was important. I think I really like the idea of having to activate an audience and making sure that an audience leans in. This is definitely not a movie that you can sort of lay back and just kind of let it wash over you, right? In terms of bombastic sound and explosions and things, you have to really pay attention. Um, and then I think if you do, I think the payoff is quite great. Um, but that was always a fun thing for me you,
1: you alluded earlier on um that earlier in uh, jen's career she said that there were certain things that she wouldn't do on camera and dominica goes to some really intense places in this film um was it your previous work uh with jennifer that um gave you that trust and that bond to to go to some of those dark places
3: well i think it's a combination of things i think for her to say yes to doing this movie one is she has to be ready to you know, to partake in the kind of content that's in this movie. I mean, that's a decision only she can make. I will say that I think part of the decision making, I'm not sure she would have done it with a stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of the reason that she said yes was that she knew that I would be very respectful, that I would listen and collaborate with her. Um, and she trusted my taste. I know that. But beyond that, she herself just had to be ready.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Dominica in her in her training is taught to use absolutely everything to get um, on side with people, including and especially using her sexuality. Um, How did you work to ensure that the film empowers her character?
3: Well, that's something that she and I spoke a lot about. I, I, you know, I had told her up front that I would was clearly not making an erotic thriller. This was not a movie that is meant to titillate in any way. So there was not going to be anything gratuitous, specifically with nudity and sexuality. And so once she signed on, we started talking a lot about it. One was so that we're both comfortable. There was no sort of tiptoeing around one Mm -hmm. another. We needed to be as open as possible, but also to be as vigilant as possible about those scenes to make sure that they married with the narrative and the themes and the tone specifically um, and weren't empowering. And that was just something that she and the writer and I talked about a lot to try and get that right.
1: I wanted to talk to you about some of the torture scenes as well. I I, I won't... Say exactly what it is, because uh, I think it goes into spoiler territory. But there is some, th- there is a scene towards the end that I've not been able to get out of my mind since seeing the film. The uh, skin, especially the skin, the
3: skin grafting. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> it's a very inventive. I've never seen that particular medical instrument being used as an instrument of, of
3: torture before. Uh, yeah. it was pretty stomach churning. What what yeah. was it like shooting those scenes? And I mean, I have to say, it's it's sort of the opposite. I, I get a kick out of the fact that people are so squeamish about that scene <laughs> when shooting a shooting a scene like that is actually pretty ridiculous. Because mm-hmm. well, look, I'll I'll start by saying. I got the idea from watching a documentary years ago about a a burn victim. It was a a special effects guy in a movie set who was like handling some kind of gunpowder and went off and it burned his arms and some of his neck Mm -hmm. and watching the process of what they do to deal with burns, including skin grafting. And I saw that tool. So I was stuck in the back of my head and then I brought it out because, you know, there are elements when you get into a spy film, there's torture scenes and Mm -hmm. And you, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it in a new way. And I thought about this skin grafting tool, so had the writer stick it in there, including some of the description of, of the tool. But on set, all it is is a rubber, you know, replica mm-hmm. of a skin grafting tool and, you know, the character, I won't spoil who the character mm-hmm. is that's getting his skin grafted, <laughs> you know, writhing around and tensing mm-hmm. his body and screaming and things that, I mean, you know, he really sold the pain, which is good, but, you know, in the moment on the day it feels like you're a seven-year-old you know shooting a movie with your super 8 camera and your friends are just (laughs) you know playing around with bad props but what what did you use as the little kind of
1: horrible flakes
3: of skin oh yeah that was just that was the our makeup team Mm -hmm. created these like skin flaps that we could (laughs) that we could sort of peel out of the skin grafting tool yeah yeah
1: i still feel queasy about that now um uh so in in terms of uh red sparrow you, you did three kind of franchise films, effectively, with yeah. Hunger Games. Is Red Sparrow, you see, do you see that as something that could be a new franchise? Or have you approached it as a kind of one-off project?
3: No, we we definitely did not approach it as a one-off. I mean, I think we all, we all love the character. We all love the world. There's definitely more stories you could tell with Dominica. But unlike the Hunger Games, where when I signed on, the dates for the next three were already laid out, right? That was a done deal. Those things are getting made. We're waiting to see whether or not people go to see the movie um you know it's it's one of those tricky movies that's in that tricky zone now of you know fingers crossed mm-hmm. people come out and see it and and fall in love with the character and this kind of world and ideally we get to make another one
1: and w- would you want to be involved if there was a sequel? oh 100
3: because
1: um, one thing that i'm really intrigued by that um you've been attached to for a little while is this proposed uh kind of New uh, film of Battle Galactica yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what's the status of that, and and it's what's the sort of take on the material? And
3: well, I don't want to give away it? too much. of The take, I'm gonna, I'll stay a little tight-lipped about the take. I think it's mm-hmm. really interesting, but it's something I'm developing now and have been for a little while. And I've been working with Lisa Joy, uh, who's a writer, but also one of the co-creators of Westworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's she's done a great job. She's obviously it's taken a while because she's very busy. She's, you know, shot. Two seasons of Westworld. While working on this, I went off and shot Red Sparrow. While working on this, so it hasn't been the fastest process, mostly because we're very busy. But she's done. A, she's done a great job. She's a very smart woman.
1: I'll be really excited to see if it if it does come about. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Francis thank you Lawrence.
0: Okay, it's time now for this week's films, and um, we're starting with. Um Obviously, Red Sparrow, a film that seems wildly appropriate for the freezing mm-hmm. cold weather. Um, if we're experiencing the Beast from the East now, then Jennifer Lawrence is The Matching Beauty. Yeah, see what I did there? As she plays a ballerina who um, has to give up her chosen profession and instead find herself herself recruited to become a sex spy. Right, essentially. Yeah,
1: that's basically it. Yeah, this is um, as you've heard Jennifer Lawrence reteaming um, with Francis Lawrence, uh, who I think we probably agree made the best Hunger Games film in, in Catching Fire.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and yeah, I went into this kind of, kind of looking forward to it. I, I think Jennifer Lawrence is is kind of a good talent and uh, the trailer was interesting, especially there was a lot of chat initially that, oh, it looks like a sort of uh, Black Widow movie. It really isn't that. It's, it's quite a talky, kind of slow-paced at points, mm-hmm. um, kind of proper Cold War political thriller. Having said that, I thought it felt a lot shorter than it's kind of two hours, twenty minutes runtime it's it's a long runtime, but I found the story actually really involving. So Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is is really good in it. I think she gives a, uh, a really kind of compelling performance as Dominica, uh, the ballerina. There's a gorgeous opening sequence uh, at the ballet, which I thought was beautifully well shot mm-hmm. and kind of really stirring and dramatic. Uh, and also uh, Joel Edgerton playing opposite here. I, I don't think I've seen Joel Edgerton be bad in anything, even Attack of the Clones. Um, uh, so it's, it's a great cast. The... Sexual politics of this film are extraordinarily tricky, and about half an hour into it, I had to just stop working out how I felt about some of the things that were playing out mm. on the screen uh, because I needed to spend my time kind of concentrating on on seeing the plot play out. Because it there, uh,
0: it is a complicated it's plot. It's a this complicated film. plot. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It is. Um, it doesn't kind of uh, condescend to the audience no. at all. You're expected to keep up as it goes on. There are lots of twists. Shifting allegiances. It, for me, it was something where I had to basically just just keep watching and not, not try and keep tabs on who was siding with who and just hope that by the end it all worked out. And it really did and, and thought the payoff was great.
0: Yeah, I ha- I had some issues with it. I, the sexual politics is a huge issue, yeah. actually, and it's, it's a strange film. But I think actually the politics politics or if anything more startling to me because it feels to me... This is a film set in the modern day. This Mm -hmm. is a film set in... If we're experiencing a second Cold War, then it's set in the second Cold War, not the traditional one. But it still feels exactly like an old cold war movie
1: yeah in fact i think i i um spent the first maybe 45 minutes or so wondering i don't know exactly when this is yeah. set and then it's only when you see someone i think using a smartphone that i was like oh okay so it's, it is it modern is day, present yeah. day
0: that, that's it and i think it, it's it so leans into the tropes of the old you know red menace mm-hmm. kind of stuff and and i think there's an element just in the whole premise of these sort of almost superhuman, almost inhuman sex spies, like there is something inhuman about mm-hmm. using something so intimate in such a cold-blooded political mm-hmm. um, manner that it is, uh, it is, it, it harks back from me to the real sort of red scare, reds under the bed, reds mm-hmm. in the bed, um, kind of propaganda stories that you would have heard back in the day. And this real assumption that, that Russian people uh, and the Russian government certainly are somehow less individual, less mm-hmm. human, less feeling mm-hmm. than their Western counterparts, which I find really uncomfortable at times um, because it felt like it was almost superhuman powers. It was almost like mm-hmm. sort of uh, a Black Widow kind of theory, but without any sort of, you know, uh, hyper-realistic framework mm-hmm. around that. It, it, it really seemed to be giving them some kind of... It really seemed paranoid of modern Russia in a way that is... That that surprised me, mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily in a good way. So it was it was a, it's a very strange tone, and I think there's so much plot in this that yeah. it maybe almost should have been like an eight hour, you know, or like a series. Series, and a series yeah. It's it's. I mean, there's some dense stuff in there, and I feel like if you had that much time, then maybe you'd have time to develop it in different mm-hmm. directions and do some some more some th- different things with it
1: i have to say i think it does uh, a lot well in in that runtime. Yeah. um it's also it's a lot more extreme than i expected there oh, is yeah. there is some really intense kind of uh violence some really strong nudity uh some really kind of disturbing scenes in there um and also oh my goodness there is a torture scene that i spoke to uh, francis lawrence about and he i didn't mention it explicitly in the interview but he did so i feel like it's okay to say but um there is a use of a skin graft machine as a torture device which is I was turning my head away from the screen. It was really kind of um, intensely gross stuff. So, yeah, it really isn't the the Black Widow movie that you might be expecting. But when I kind of tried to stop worrying about how I felt about it, I did find myself pretty involved in it. And I think um, it is one of those quite rare, unapologetically grown-up thrillers that really pushes the boundaries of of kind of what you see in, in mainstream films that stood out as possibly one of the only, like, real intense kind of adult-oriented thrillers since something like... Fincher's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo on that kind of scale yeah. um, and that kind of uh, mainstream level.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, by the way, we should mention a hell of a supporting cast, even beside Joel Edgerton. You've got Matthias Schoenarts, mm-hmm. Charlotte Rampling, Mary Louise yeah. Parker, Kieran Hines, Jolie Richardson, Bill Camp. I mean, it is it, uh, Jeremy Irons in there as well. It, it is a deep, deep bench mm. of great people. Sergei Palunin as well.
2: I feel I should say something, but I haven't seen it, so... <laughs> I'd really like to see this. It looks good. Mm-hmm. Also, Mary-Louise Parker was in the West Wing.
0: Thanks, James. This is, this is what I... In fact, in
2: fact, I might go and see it tonight because it's showing...
0: Well, there you have early. it, people. It do that.
2: So, yeah, I'm going to go and see it tonight. Um, it got three stars. There you go. I can share that with you. It, it got Our illustrious editor, Terry White, has given this film three of our best stars and that is a recommendation.
0: That is a recommendation. I would very much agree with that star mm-hmm. rating and not just because she is the all-powerful editor. <laughs> So next up we have, uh, let's go with Game Night, uh, which is a tale of a suburban board gaming evening gone horribly wrong. If only Dan Jolin were here (laughs) to explain how the simple role of a D20 could have, you know, just solved the whole thing, probably.
1: I'm going (laughs) to nod and pretend that I know what that means.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so this is uh, a sort of, Suburban group led by Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. They are a happily married couple. And they're both extraordinarily competitive people. Um, Their names are Annie and Max. But they love nothing more than winning, basically. But despite this, they somehow have friends who are willing to come and play with them. So their, their friends are played by Lamorne Morris, who plays Kevin. We've got Kylie Bunbury as Michelle and Billy Magnusson as Ryan. Uh, he brings along... You know, he's, he's notorious in this group for always bringing along a very beautiful but very dim date. So mm-hmm. he always comes last in, in every <laughs> game they play. So this week, he's not going to do that. So he brings along Sharon Horgan, oh, wow. who's proper, uh, to ha- kind of help him out. But the fly in the ointment is mm-hmm. Kyle Chandler. Now, he plays Max's more successful brother, Brooks. And he, when he's hosting games night at his house for once, he suggests, right, let's step this all up a gear. We're going to have one of those kind of live interactive games. So somebody's going to be kidnapped and all the rest of you have to follow the clues.
1: Kind of like David Fincher's The Game.
0: Exactly like David Fincher's The Game, except played for laughs. Okay. Yes. So exactly like Mm -hmm. that. Genuinely, this is the game, you know. The game night. The game night. Exactly. Um... And things get incredibly complicated from there, and I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. Uh, I think it makes sense. I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure. I assume if we talked to the screenwriter who's Mark Perez, he would be able to mm-hmm. explain to me that it all makes sense. I'm just going to trust him on that.
1: So it's quite a plotty film.
0: It is extremely twisty and turny, and there are some things you will mm. not... Make uh, like see coming and possibly don't actually make sense, but I'm just going to assume that they do. We should mention Jesse Plemons is in it as Gary, who's mm-hmm. Annie and Max's neighbour, and mm-hmm. he used to be part of the game night with his wife, but having been dumped by her and divorced by her, he's now been kind of left out in the cold because he's incredibly creepy. Like he is <laughs> like imagine the creepiest man ever. James, and then make him much creepier, and you've got Jesse Plemons in this
2: film. <laughs> he does not know the burn that has just been. Yeah. I something. don't know what you're saying.
0: <laughs> Let um, it was. We were just being nice about you, James. We I, very will, very nice I, about
2: will, I will. I will. I'm sorry. I was checking my emails because I didn't feel like I can contribute. But I will say, I nearly went to see this film, <laughs> well and <done>. then didn't.
0: <laughs> Thanks, James. There,
2: there was a screening of it, and I was going to go but it didn't go, but they sent me a board game. Yeah, which we've was got themed. a game night board yeah, game. Yeah, we have a game Maybe night we game. host our own game night we and should... play the game night yeah. board game. Well, yeah.
0: based on this film, that could le- lead to disaster. But I will say this is very funny. It's well paced. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember a single line from it now. I had trouble remembering character names. So it's not exactly going to you know necessarily change your life. But at the same time, as a good studio Comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a while since we really had yeah. one that worked. This kind of glossy, well-made, well-cast studio comedy has kind of been having a bit of in the doldrums a little bit recently. So it's kind of good to see it working this well again. So uh, fair play. We gave this
1: four stars.
0: Four stars, which is a definite recommendation.
1: Yeah. How, um, how is Jason Bateman in it? Because he is so great in Arrested Development, and then is in so many pretty bad. <laughs> kind of comedy films
0: yeah he kind of is but I think I think he's good here and I think mm-hmm. he and Rachel McAdams work really well together she has not been this funny in a long time mm-hmm. and, and gets so much more to do than she has done in any film I've seen her in recently Doctor Strange
1: oh <laughs> god <laughs>
0: and, and it's good to see yeah. her given a chance to actually show what does she, she can do does she play Operation in this <laughs> she should do she'd be better at it than he was <laughs> anyway um, but yeah, you know, genuinely she's been massively underused mm-hmm. of late and it's really good to see that so four stars cool. for game nights so one more film Uh, to go Um, this is the Oscar nominated A Fantastic Woman from Chilean director Sebastián Lelio Um, and it stars Daniela Vega as a woman who has been kind of abandoned uh, basically after her uh, older boyfriend who's uh, played by Francisco Reyes he dies suddenly and she finds herself first of all under suspicion for his death um, also rejected by his family and cut out of his life um, because she is a trans woman so that's basically the setup. And this is uh, it's a it's a really good film mm-hmm. and it is a phenomenal performance from Vega I think she's she's such a talent in this and she's really really the camera barely leaves her face mm-hmm. like she is almost always in the center of the screen and she absolutely holds your attention the whole way through which is a phenomenal phenomenal performance but it is it is a, a really kind of nuanced and sensitive and comp um, and, and sort of confident take on you know, what I fear must be an Mm all-too-common occurrence, which is just this this woman who's suddenly facing a very hostile world entirely Mm -hmm. on her own. I mean, the death of of any loved one is going to be difficult, um, but the death of, of essentially your only... I don't want to say your only protection, but it feels almost like that. It feels like something... Is stripped away from her life that leaves her vulnerable to just the whole world, and so you see, you know, just microaggressions against mm-hmm. her uh, as, and her identity, but also like full-on aggression, aggression and violence towards her uh, in the wake of this death. And while she's trying to deal with her own gra- grief, um, but what sort of gives this film its, I guess, uplift or mm-hmm. its its uh, a sense of optimism are these sort of fantastical moments where the real world kind of falls away a little bit and and she's able to kind of escape into the world... That she that she envisages that she hopes for that she sees inside her head, and so you have like a fabulous dance number at one point, and and just some some gorgeous gorgeous imagery that is that just kind of gives you gives you hope that she's going to be okay, basically no matter what kind of comes against her. So it's it's a really lovely film. I I don't know if it's going to win best picture or best foreign film mm-hmm. um, on Sunday night at the Oscars, but I, I definitely think it's in with a chance. I think it's a really good film, and she is going to make history either way because she is the first openly trans woman to present at the Oscars. Fantastic. But honestly, it's it's just a wonderful performance and a really, really beautiful, beautiful film. So even if you wouldn't normally go and see this sort of thing, mm-hmm. I think it's worth a go. And we gave that four stars.
2: We haven't mentioned the Oscars, which are, of course, happening very shortly.
0: Yes, yes. Sunday night. So what are your predictions?
2: I predict they will give out the Oscars to mainly the right people this year.
0: Okay. Yeah. Who do you consider the right people? What do you think is going to win Best Picture? I
2: think if Fishfucker gets any, I'm going to be upset. I'm and, going to be very happy. And and Ben's going to get fired. And uh, I want them all to go to the billboards. And in I'm fact, especially want... going to be fired because I do not like three billboards. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I, fact, wrong with that, I am Phil? going to get three billboards outside Camden, London, basically saying that three billboards should win.
0: Well, I'm sure that will sway the voters who already <laughs> sent in their ballots, James. Um, um, yeah,
2: yeah, no, this is going to be fun. We're going to, We're doing it all at Chris's house. Uh yes. so that should be a giggle. I genuinely would love um get out to win best
1: picture as a film that was released way out of the kind of typical yeah. Oscar uh, best picture season that has massively steered the conversation in film over the last 12 months. I think it's almost a year since since I yeah, saw almost, it. Almost, yeah. And it is it, it holds up so well in repeat viewings. It's so rare that a genre film gets that recognition, which is another, mm-hmm. as well as me loving it, another thing that I'd really like for The Shape of Water, that even though it is quite prestige that it's effectively like a yeah,
3: It's a monster film. movie. Yeah. It's a monster
2: movie. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see a genuinely bad film win, win the Oscar. I think oh my goodness. It would. Um, yeah. I'm intrigued to see Three Billboards <laughs> does Well, it. I
0: hate to be the voice of reason here, so somewhere in the middle. I am uh, with James in thinking that Three Billboards will win. Yes. I am with then in hoping that get out actually wins and i do think, I it's, in with with I I do think it's in with a chance i do think it's in with a chance get
2: out was fantastic um, i think it has almost no chance of winning but
0: i don't i think it's actually in with a very good chance um, i think that uh, shape of water is good apart from the love story, which I thought didn't land. So I'm again, I'm I'm walking, walking the line between you two. So. I do
1: wonder with um, with Get Out because obviously all the uh, Academy voters get their screeners and and watch through them all but it might play in Get Out's favour. That it is just a, such a straightforwardly enjoyable film. Yeah. There is so much nuance in it, and there is so much kind of culturally around it that makes it exceptional but the bare basics of the film is a really entertaining like hour and 40 minutes and i wonder if that will play in its favor
0: and look the silence of the lambs won the big five so it's not beyond the realm of possibility the film released in the spring can do the, the business. Now, admittedly, that was 27 years ago, but that, let's not rule it out completely. I think it could happen. Are we all saying McDormand for actress?
2: I think so,
1: yes. Yeah. Are we all saying Oldman oh, for actress? I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think, I think Frances McDormand will get it, and she is amazing in that But She is the thing that I love in that film, but I... Um, was so swept away by Sally Hawkins in The you, Shape of Water. You
2: do realise the only reason The Shape of Water is even nominated <laughs> is Jeez. because they sent Michael Shannon round to all the voters' houses and had him <laughs> yeah. shout at them. Dragged people around. That like would be
0: amazing. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: But the, the, her performance in that is so charming and it still blows my mind that she manages to convey someone who has no literal voice yeah. shouting I, that that scene uh, kind of blows my mind. She is, she
0: is phenomenal in that. I have to say, if if it wasn't going to Francis McDormand, I would give it to Saoirse Ronan, That's who I, I think is just phenomenal in Lady Bird. And I just worry that it's the kind of role that people don't appreciate how good it is.
2: No, yeah. do do you think the Greta Goig has? I mean, what would you put her odds at?
0: I think they are low. I love, and I agree, I think that film is brilliantly directed, actually. Mm. But I think it's brilliantly directed in a way that people won't necessarily award.
2: Yes, that's what I feel as well. I'd love to see that win Best Director. Yeah. Not just for—I just think for, as a directorial debut, it's an incredible film.
0: But I mean, same but, with Get Out. So, I mean, yeah. two yeah. debuts, debutant directors in that category, yeah. which is phenomenal. I mean, Very but,
2: tricky. There's only one film I know shouldn't get it. other Oh than that, my goodness! I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think this this year's um,
1: Best Director category is one of the best in in years. That yeah. that you've got you've got Gerwig, you've got Peele, you've got Nolan for the first time. Yeah. Um, Del Toro. Who's who's the
0: fifth? Oh, is it Paul Thomas Anderson?
1: as like an outstanding um kind of selection of people. And I think there are so many interesting voices in there. It's uh we already know my feelings about Shape of Water, Gerwig would be an amazing win, Peel would be an amazing win, like Paul Thomas Anderson uh, would be great as well. Like Phantom Thread is so good, and it's not just a film about sewing, as I can see James looking at me right now. <laughs> um yeah, but I mean to be honest, I would be happy with any of them winning.
0: But yeah, that's a that's a really strong category. Speaking of strong categories, uh, are there any Hoyt Van Hoytmaites in the house, or are we all agree that if Roger Deacons doesn't get it, we're Deakins. rioting?
2: Deacons for the win. I, I'm 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 always rooting for the Deak.
0: Yeah, it, it it has to be the Deak. Mm-hmm. This is Oscar nomination number fourteen. It is time just and past time just already. give him the statue.
1: And and it would be like massively well deserved as well cuz like sure. Blade Runner 2049 just looks so
0: flipping it's, beautiful. It's a gorgeous film. It's going to be an interesting competition actually between below the line between I think I think Blade Runner Dunkirk for a few th- in a few categories mm-hmm. and What's some of the shape technical of water. Stuff. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting times ahead. Anyway, the Oscars are obviously on this Sunday night. Yes. Uh, you can watch them on Sky, which I believe has a dedicated Oscar channel on its cinema. What's it? And you can get it through. <laughs> <my TV. laughs> it
2: does indeed. I don't know. We will be live blogging on the website and, and, and tweeting along as we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from Chris's house, live from Chris's house, <laughs> and if you look out of his window, and no, you really can't see <laughs> it at all.
0: You can't, no, you can, You no. cannot see the Kodak Theatre from Chris's house. No.
1: That no, is can't. true. But yeah, if you want to follow along with us in the very early hours of the morning as we get slowly more and more delirious... <laughs> yes, please, please do. Death. Please
2: send snacks to Chris's house. <laughs> and Lucas
1: Aid and coffee. <laughs> Yes. Any, any caffeinated beverages.
0: Well, Godspeed, my friends, Godspeed. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by David Yellowo and Lynn Ramsey, uh, assuming that I pressed record on the interview I did earlier. Uh, until then, it's goodbye from James. Bye. Goodbye from Ben. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to start the three-hour process of putting on enough coats to survive the journey home. Goodbye.